Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. By one, Jonathan Haidt and a bunch of other sociologists and uh, researchers and scientists, dare I call them that, um, who who are wanting phones to be smartphones to be curtailed among the youth. Is this the time, is this the right time for parents and educators to ask, should we make the day phone free? Would that reduce rates of depression, anxiety, and self-harm? Would it improve educational outcomes? And Jonathan Haidt says, yes, yes, and yes. It would do all of that. We should, we should make the school day phone free, minimum. We should reduce the rates, of de- or it would reduce the rates of depression and anxiety and self-harm, and it would improve educational outcomes. There are a lot of different facets to this issue. They did studies. It's in here in the piece someplace, um, and I'll get to it. But they've done studies where simply having a phone near you during test-taking drops your test scores versus having it placed like up at the front of the room where you have no access to it. Heavy phone use or social media use may also have a cumulative, enduring, and deleterious effect on adolescents' abilities to focus and apply themselves. Continuous administration of small pleasures can produce sustained changes in the brain's reward system, including a reduction of dopamine receptors dopamine which I think is the stuff that the guys in college or uh, uh, high school rather were selling that's why they needed the beepers I think if I remember correctly whenever your whenever your phone goes off and you get the bing bing right whenever you get that what happens what happens to you as a fully brain formed post 25 year old adult what happens to you you look, right? If the phone is out on the table, if it's in your pocket, in your hand, the thing beeps or vibrates, you look at it. And, oh, look at that, I got a mail. Oh, look at that, I got a message. I got a, I got a, 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 a truth. Social, whatever they call them. Anyway, you, like, you, somebody, somebody interacted with you. And you get this little microdose of, uh, of dopamine. And the brain likes that. It's it. That's the. It, these are pleasure receptors. The dopamine hit in the brain's like yes, like that. It's Pavlovian. You ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell, feed the dog. Ring the bell. Don't feed the dog, but the dog starts salivating anyway. Right. That's the idea. That's the concept. And so, if you've got kids that are now having their brains trained to respond to this stimuli in order to get the dopamine hits. What happens when they don't get the dopamine? They act like jerks. I mean, more so than kids normally do. Right? I mean, but they they act like jerks, right? They get agitated. They act up. They talk back. 
basically they behave like me. And you don't want your kid like that. So maybe there's something to this, thought Jonathan Haidt years ago. And they started looking into it. And all of the experiments, or I shouldn't say all of them, virtually every single one of them, they all point in the same direction. And I'm not sure what more it's going to take. Um, the shift, or, or the dopamine hits, shifts your general mood towards irritability and anxiety when separated from their phones. And it reduces the kid's ability to focus. That may be one reason why heavy phone users have lower GPAs. Did you know that? Heavy phone users have lower GPAs. Oh, no, no, I'm just using it to research stuff. That's all. I need the phone so I can do well in school. Like, no. Heavy phone use, lower GPA. The main detrimental consequence? An inability to exert prolonged mental effort. Prolonged mental effort. Have you ever heard the term fubbing? Not flubbing, but fubbing. P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. Fubbing. It's not a dirty word. Stop. It's not a dirty word. One way that phones have hurt our relationships is through fubbing. And as soon as I describe this, you're going to know exactly. This will have happened to you. You will have done it. You will have participated in it. You are a fubber. We are all fubbers at some point. What is fubbing? It is a contraction of two words, phone snubbing. It happens when a person breaks away from a conversation to look at their screen. You've done it, right? Uh Uh-huh. And what happens when one person does it? Everyone does it. It's like a contagion at the table, right? Try it sometime. Be sitting at the table... And have like look around, make sure nobody's on their phone. So that may it may take you know a couple weeks or months for that to occur in your life. But if you're at a table, you're sitting around with people, and uh, nobody's on their phone at some point, pull out the phone and start looking at it, and then watch what happens. Within about a minute or two, virtually everybody at that table is going to have a phone out. It's called fubbing, phone snubbing. Research shows that it interferes with the intimacy and perceived quality of social interactions. People who are more addicted to their phones are, unsurprisingly, the biggest fubbers. Which may explain why people who are the heaviest users of phones and or social media are also the most depressed and lonely. You're not connecting with actual people in the here and now. There is value in that personal interaction. Once some students start fubbing others, then the others feel pressure to pull out their own phones. And in a flash, the culture of the entire school has changed. That's why they say, uh, one of the callers earlier mentioned, well, you know, you could just let them use it uh, during lunch breaks. And that has been tried, and that has been observed. And you know what happens? Everybody eating is staring at their phones. By the way, there is a, there's an analogy as well, um, or an analogous situation, let me say. Uh, when you go into a meeting at work, <laughs> all right, okay, fine, if you still go into the office, right? But let's say you go to a meeting. You know what used to happen before the meetings? 
you would show up, right, minute or two early, five minutes early, right? You show up, you hang out for a couple minutes with, with your coworkers, and what? You, you chit-chat, right? You shoot the breeze. You ask them how the kids' hockey game went. You ask uh, about, uh, you know, the... You know, the, the spouse's latest entry in the, the county fair biggest vegetable contest, whatever. You start asking these questions, and you learn about people, and you interact with them, and you develop relationships. It's kind of this water cooler culture. And now what happens is when you have meetings and everybody shows up early, what do they do? They all jump on their smartphones, and they're not even looking at each other. They're not talking to each other. They're not developing any of those personal relationships, which, by the way, makes you easier to fire. Just a heads up on that, that makes you easier to fire. <laughs> so, um, when Instagram was acquired by Facebook, 2012, and Jonathan Hayden and his team of researchers say, if we have to pick a date for the start of selfie culture and its poisonous levels of visual social comparison, that's it. And you can track it. You can track it by the rates of anxiety and depression. After 2012... They start skyrocketing, particularly among young girls. And you can't tell me that there's no connection to the trans debate. You can't. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? So I apologize. Apparently, there was some dropping out of the uh, of the signal during the last uh, segment. There, uh, I believe we've done the reset. Uh, we tried to turn it off and turn it back on. So that should totally fix it, I believe. Yeah, so far so good. All right, good. So uh, let me go to the Twitter machine and get some uh, uh, some tweets here. These are Pete tweets. So Cirque de la Soul says studies show that the same brain functions occurring during drug use occur during phone use. That's saying the chemicals released by the brain when smoking crack are the same that are released while using these devices. Why is this science and data? Why is this being ignored? I will tell you <clears throat> that the, uh, the, the brain functions, the same brain functions with the use of drugs and the use of the smartphones, um, they are even more pronounced when you are using uh, the drugs and the smartphone at the same time. Just... You want to steer clear of that. Um, maybe we could compromise and let kids have a pager like the late 90s, says Gary. I Well, this is what Jonathan Haidt is recommending. Dumb phones for kids until high school. Don't give your kid a smartphone until high school. And let them play outside for six hours a day. Let them go find some friends, get into trouble, whatever. Get out of trouble overcome their own obstacles. It's called free play. It's self-directed free play. Rather than sort of bulldozer parents that clear all the obstacles out of the way for their kids, and then the kid 
doesn't know how to overcome any obstacles because they never got tough. And I don't mean this in a way to, like, say, oh, get tough, kid, whatever. I'm just saying, like, little things. There are classes. I, I think we covered this a couple of weeks ago. There are actually classes offered at the college level that are, like, adulting 101 and at the high school level as well. So, like, teaching, teaching kids how to do something like change a flat tire or teaching kids how to... One of the examples given was uh, a, a girl who drove her niece and nephew to the amusement park, like took them to Carowinds. And she had never done something like that before. She drove her niece and nephew, who were, I don't know, like you know, 12, 13 years old, and took them to Carowinds without any adult supervision because she's the adult at age 18. The idea that this would be... Okay, I do have a story about that. But the idea that this would be so out of the realm of possibility for an entire generation is astounding. It's almost unbelievable, right? Non-believable. Here's a story from, uh, from my childhood. Uh, I was one of four kids. Right? I am one of four children. And uh, the next door neighbors who, um, uh, they just uh, had a loss in their family. Tony passed away. Uh, but her, uh, her brother, Tommy, and Tommy was uh, dating a girl. And Tommy wanted to take her to the drive-in, and he wanted to borrow us four kids because his girlfriend uh, really liked kids. So he wanted to show her that he really likes kids, too. And he gets along with... And we did. We all got along. He was a couple of years older than all of us. But we were, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Like that kind of range. There's four of us, remember. So he takes us all to see... What is it called? The Rescuers, I think, was the, the Disney cartoon movie. So we go to the drive-in, and we see this movie. I remember nothing about the movie. That's how young we were. I remember nothing about the movie. Nothing. So we come home, and Mom asks, how did the movie go? And uh, we were like, oh, it was great, whatever. I had a great time. You know, Tommy, I don't, I don't know the girlfriend's name at this point, but, uh, you know, oh, they were great and all this. So we, we had a great time, and Tommy said he's going to take us again. And... Mom says, really? He's going to take you again? I, okay, well, great. And she's like, and one of us said something to her like, yeah, but we're going to go in the winter time. He wants to take us in the winter. And she's like, okay, all right, well, whatever. So she sees Tommy sometime later, and she says, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that was really nice of you to take the kids. Uh, glad it all went really well. And they say they're really looking forward to doing it again. He's like, what? What are they talking about? It was terrible. And then he proceeds to like list all of this parade of horrible things that we kids had done uh, on his date uh, in the car, watching the movies, probably spilled popcorn and soda and everything else in the car. I don't know. I don't know. But he did not have a good time. He hated it. And he said to my mom, I am never taking those kids back to the movies. And she's like, but they said that you were going to take them back. And he said, I told him it'd be a cold day in hell when I took them back. He was not much older than 18 years old. But we love him. We still see him. We saw him at the funeral uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, he's raised a whole bunch of great kids. Because we, we trained him. Like, I'd like to think I had, a, I had a part in that. Yeah. All right. You may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while. And it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. 
Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. It's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? for more time, for treatments. This is why we walk. So MIT professor Sherry Turkle wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. Because of our phones, she says, we are forever elsewhere. If we want children to be present, learn well, make friends, and feel like they belong at school, we should keep smartphones and social media out of the school day for as long as possible. Got a couple of uh, messages on the Twitter machine. Uh, This is from Jeff, who says, Maybe schools need to come up with a class that teaches how to deal with phones and educate how the use of the phones are affecting their psychology and well-being. Uh, Also think adults are having the same issues. They are. Jeff is exactly right. Adults are having the same issue. It's more pronounced, though, with kids. Because, as we were going over earlier, the, the frontal lobe is not fully developed until age 25. And so these uh, these afflictions are more acute in the younger populations. Ray says, I have said for a long time, these bulldozer parents are just going to get worse each generation. This all started with bicycle helmets. Kids have to learn to assess risk and deal with failure. Stupid should hurt. I don't think they started with bike helmets. I think it started with... I was going to say seatbelts. But no, probably like having to, you know, set regulations so you can't bar the doors at uh, the Shirtwaist Triangle Factory. That's probably... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, like there... People can't know everything about everything. And so... Uh, I mean, I think that there are some general protections that are, uh, especially when you're dealing with kids, because we've been saying it during like the trans debate, is that they don't understand the long-term ramifications because they literally cannot understand it because their brains have not literally formed yet enough to assess risk accurately. So that's why we have laws that protect kids because they can't make these types of rational discussion or, or decisions on their own, right? They will stick a fork into a plug socket because they're idiots. They're kids. They don't know stuff. They don't know a lot of stuff. They don't even know what they don't know until they hit like age 13, 14. Then they know everything. But then they lose it all somehow or another. They lose all of that knowledge. Um, Let's see. Here's another tweet. Uh, Another great show, noon to three. As you cover this critical issue facing our children, the goal should be to do whatever is necessary to reduce suicide and rates of depression. The idea of phone-free school day might save more lives than gun-free zones. That's a tweet from uh, my dad. Um, <laughs> that's right. And who, who appreciates the story of, take, of Tommy taking us to the movies, especially the part that you taking credit for him growing up to be a great dad and grandpa? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a pretty straight line. You know, I think it's a pretty straight line right there. Um, ah, 
Okay, there's a bug on my screen. Get off. Oh, gosh. That's a... I mean, I don't think it... I'm all right. I don't think it... Uh, I don't think it was lethal. It was small, and it was green. And it was walking. And that's enough. Um... What else here? I got a, uh, this is an email to Pete at the PeteCallanerShow.com from Joshua, who says, uh, I don't know, Pete, we seem to have gotten through school pretty fine without a cell phone. We did. Right. Like, we know what this society would look like without smartphones in the hands of every single kid. We know what the society looks like. We, we were those kids. We were them. They were us. There are other countries that are way ahead of the U.S. on phone policy. Um, Some schools in the U.S., Jonathan Haidt says, have now taken uncompromising stances on phones. For example, uh, there's an author, Mark Oppenheimer. I think he's the guy that uh, just put out that movie. Or it was about him. I forget. Anyway, he wrote earlier this year about St. Andrews, a small boarding school in Delaware that allows students to use their phones only when in their dorm rooms not went anywhere else on campus and students initially resisted it but now it has widespread support on the campus last year hate says he personally banned all screens even laptops in his own classrooms from his undergrad and mba classes and at the end of each semester students strongly agreed that this improved the class for them So at first, people don't want to go without. But once they do, they like it. They prefer it. They don't want the phones in the classrooms. He then goes on to say, dumb phones are helpful, not harmful. Smartphones are very different. Dumb phones. He says, as the teen mental health crisis rolls on and rates of depression, anxiety, and self-harm continue to rise, we are not helpless. It would be great. If social media platforms enforce their own minimum age of 13 to open accounts. But all signs indicate they're not going to do that unless they're compelled by the force of government. Right? Um, It would be great if Congress would compel them. Some bills are being considered. It would be better still if the minimum age for using social media was raised to at least 16 years old. The solutions to the crisis are wide-ranging, and some may need to involve the federal government, he says. Do you agree with that? Let me go to Sue. Welcome to the program. Hello, Sue. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good. So, just quickly, I am a former high school teacher. I've taught in multiple states for decades. Public school and private schools, and big schools, little schools. And only in the last 10 years have I had to deal with cell phones. And I don't think people and parents realize how detrimental it is. I mean, it's gotten to the point the kids know how to cheat. Um, Pornography, they're showing Mm. pornography with it. It's just a mess. And the last school I taught at, the kids had to keep it in their lockers on off. And if they were caught with it or if it even rang in their locker, the administration removed it. The parents had to come pick it up at the end of the day. If it happened again, they couldn't have it on campus. And then a third time, they risked being um, expelled from the school. Because it was a private school, they could be a little more restricted. Right. But um, it's, and we've, we had kids that were young as kindergarten walking around with smartphones. And I'm like what you said. 
and some of your callers said, if it's an issue of worrying about safety, get your kid a flip phone, um, you know, something that doesn't have the smart stuff. Right. Yeah, there is a difference between the smartphones and the dumb phones. Sue, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. There is a difference. Like a physiological, you know, biological difference, stuff going on in the brain. It's not just what she talked about either. You've got bullying that occurs, like constantly, right? Back in our day. Back in my day, when I was a kid. After I walked uphill to school in the snow, both ways without shoes, just newspapers wrapped on my bare feet. Anyway, uh, when I would get there, like, whatever bullying occurred in the school, it ended when you went home, when you walked uphill in the snow back home. It didn't follow you around. And so there was a, you know, there was an oasis effect going on there for you. And kids don't have that nowadays. They're constantly under fire. Is it any wonder why these anxiety and depression rates are going so high? Uh, Let's see, I got a couple of uh, more messages. This is from Russ, who says, uh, I heard about a counseling program for teens with anxiety and other modern mental health issues. Part of the program is a camp. It's out in a rustic setting. Teens hike and swim. They play basketball, volleyball, some organized activities. Uh, Most of it is just free range, with the kids choosing activities amongst themselves, organizing and solving disputes. In the evenings, they have about an hour to play older video games with no respawns. They can watch some older sitcoms or movies, or they can just hang out. They can have their phones for a short time also, And by the end of the week, most of them don't even want their phones. Internally, the staff calls it Camp Gen X. (laughs) We can teach you, Gen Zs. We can teach you. Why won't you let us help you? All right. Uh, My first drive-in movie, says Timoteo, was Ice Station Zebra. I'm sure my parents enjoyed it. I've never heard of that movie. Ice Station Zebra. Okay. Uh, Jan says, uh, smartphones, uh, I want them all gone. Of the many failings I have as a father, which includes letting my daughter get a job at Starbucks. Ooh, yeah. Uh, the worst, I'm just, I'm just kidding. The worst that I did was get my kids those damn smartphones. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I am beginning to sympathize with the Luddites. John says, Pete, there is a simple reason why they call it wait until 8th and uh, not wait until ninth. It's not science, it's English, because 8 rhymes with wait. That is true. It's a marketing thing. That is true. And so uh, we should come up with another uh, marketing brand, a slogan, if you will, for uh, something about the ninth. Like, uh, you're fine till 9. How about that? Fine till 9. Was that, will that work? Uh, Judy says, I was in the seventh grade in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I took my six-year-old sister on a city bus to downtown Jacksonville to go shopping and thought not much of it. Mom mu- must not have either. Seventh grader taking a six-year-old downtown to go shopping. Made it there and back just fine. Would I let my granddaughter do that today? She says, I am 79, and my Lord, how the world has changed. Uh, I guess every generation says that. Yep, I guess, I think that's true. I think everybody says that. Uh, We all become 
the people talking about, you know, back in my day. I think it's just sort of the natural thing that happens um, because stuff changes. And uh, I, I watched, um, I was watching Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and he was talking with Bill Maher on his uh, podcast. And he said, and he was like defending the Gen Z people. And he was like, uh, you know, they just learn differently. They don't have to know a bunch of stuff because they have it all at their at their fingertips. They can search for everything, and they, you know, they can Google it all. So they don't have to they don't have to memorize all of the things and learn all of the things that we had to learn and commit to memory because we didn't have you know all of the uh, the knowledge acquired by humans throughout all of our history in the palm of our hands. You know, and by the way, there is something else uh, going on here too. It's sort of an analysis paralysis kind of deal where uh, Jordan Peterson talked about this, about choices. If you give a child, for example, and you tell the child we have to go, uh, go out and uh, go pick out something to wear, we're going to go to this birthday party. And you tell your three-year-old to do that, and if they've got a closet full of clothing, they're going to get overwhelmed because there's so many choices. But if you say, here are three outfits, pick out one of these outfits, you're going to get less of a fight. There's less agitation involved, right? Again, not all kids, I guess, but this is, I mean, he's a clinical psychiatrist, and this is kind of his areas of, of expertise, but whatever, this is what he said. It, 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 it occurs when you have way too many choices, you become overwhelmed with all the choices. And maybe that's going on, too. Because when you have the smartphone, there are so many other choices that you can pursue that are going to be way more fun than the thing you're doing right now. So here's one of my things. This is what I do. I have on my phone, there is only a single... Sorry. There are two. There are two uh, uh, notifications that I get. Two. One is from a text message from my wife. That's it. It's got a tone that that uh, that plays. One text message. If she sends me anything, I get an alert. I get a notification with a tone. And if my phone rings, if there's a phone call, and and usually it's spam, so it just goes right to spam. But that's it. That's how I manage my notifications because I feel it too. I got all my stuff open, and you start seeing all these notifications pop up. You get the little lights and all this stuff, and you have this need to go open whatever just came in. And you never finish what came in before. So you're constantly falling behind. That's how you manage your workflow. You have to shut down certain areas, right, so you can get stuff done. Um, Jonathan Haight says, My hope as a researcher is that a far-sighted governor or school district superintendent will implement changes experimentally by randomly assigning some middle schools to implement the changes as soon as possible and other schools to wait a year and do it the next year. Right, And that way, researchers could gain high-quality experimental evidence as to whether phone-free schools really confer the benefits that I have predicted based on prior research. Also, at the same uh, sub-stack, thank you for, the, for your donation. Did you give a kidney, too, in there? No, he didn't. He just gave blood. Okay, no. Uh, Thank you. We just got another donor out at the uh, One Blood Big Red Bus. You can be a donor, too. Help save a life. We appreciate it. Come on by, see me. I'm here until 3. I'll tell you what this other writer at uh, 
After Babel, the Substack publication, what she writes about how social media is not making our kids safe.